Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. Help us to realize it's not that there's something magical about that name. The name represents a person, and the person is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is the creator of us all and the creator of all things, the one who rules from his sovereign throne in heaven over everything that takes place on the affairs of earth. Men may shake their fist in the face of God. Men may rebel against God, bow up against God, try to go their own way. But in the end, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we come before you, Holy Father, in his name because he is our mediator. The only mediator between God and man, Paul said, is the man Christ Jesus. And we thank you that he represents us in heaven before you, that he takes our prayers and he brings them before you, Father. And we thank you that he does it perfectly. Our prayers are inadequate. Our prayers are sometimes filled with error and wrong and sinful and bad motives. And yet you take all of that and you clean it up and you present it the way it ought to be so that it's fully pleasing to the Lord. And so we can say in confidence, thy will be done because we know you do all things well because you do it by your own power and you do it for your glory and you do it out of love for your children. And so Lord, today we pray that you would take the name of Jesus and that that would smite the consciences of people who are living in sin and, and who are lost. We pray that in the name of Jesus, that their spirits would be made alive and they would be drawn to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that they would repent of their sins and submit to you. And we pray that you would give them new life and we pray that you would give them what they have always been looking for, peace with God through Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, that as we pray this, over our families and for our marriages, for our friends, for our neighbors, that there is power in the name of Jesus. It's a precious name, but it is also a powerful name because you are a powerful God, Lord Jesus. And we come and we are glad to be your children. We worship you in spirit and in truth. And we know that everything we need that we find in you. Help us to trust you. Help us to have faith in you and in everything that you do. Help us to follow you in everything we do. And for those sins that are nagging us, those sins that keep popping up in our lives that we hate and that we're discouraged by. Oh, Father, liberate us in Jesus' name so that we might see victory over sin in our lives and help us anticipate that day when we would not only talk about you and not only speak your name, but we will see you face to face and see you, Lord Jesus, with nail prints in your hand that were put there for us because of our sin and we'll see the prince in your feet and in your side and know that we are loved with an everlasting love living in everlasting grace and everlasting praise and worship to you like you deserve and we look forward to that day and we thank you father that when we were the ones who were so far off dead in trespasses and sins lord jesus you came to us and you did what we could never do. And we ask you to even do that today for us. There are certain things we can't comprehend, certain things we can't embrace, certain things we don't really care all that much about. Oh Lord, take over and do something about all of that so that we leave here loving Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, with victory over our sin and with a new 
knowledge of you and a new love and appreciation for the one who loved us first. Lord, we praise you and thank you as our maker, as our creator, but also as our savior and our sustainer. And more than anything else, we praise you as our soon coming king. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles now to the book of John. We're still in the uh, prologue. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I'm reading books, especially fiction books or something like that, sometimes I skip the introduction and I skip if it says prologue, I skip it and go to chapter 1. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that doesn't really matter. Sometimes you get everything you need you know, before long. I'm notorious for not finishing books because I figure them out before I get to the end and I get bored with them. And uh, you can't do that with the Bible, though. Every word is inspired. Every word is put here for a reason. And uh, the pastor that Sammy and I grew up under, he had a saying. He said, if you cannot endure what bores you, you'll never fully uh, enjoy what delights you. And boy, that is so true. And so all of it is absolutely important, and we want to look at it today. Now, we looked last week at the witness of John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, uh, literally. And uh, we saw what he said about the Lord. And as a result of that witness, the Apostle John, don't get your Johns mixed up here, the Apostle John tells us something that is extremely important and something we need to know and understand in chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. And it says, And of his, that's Christ, his fullness... We have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, meaning fully, or face to face, at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared him. And of course, John is making reference to Jesus, the one that we've been singing about and the one that we praise and the one that we worship tonight. And so in this introduction, he is telling us some things that we need to know about Christ, things that will revolutionize your life and they will change the way you look at the world. It's uh, something that will uh, bless you and encourage you no matter what you may be going through. So number one, consider this. John says... With Jesus, you get an inexhaustible supply of all that you need. Notice what he says in verse 16. And of his, here's a very important word, his fullness we have all received. Now, who is the all he's speaking of here? Well, the all is going back to making uh, to the reference where John said, Uh, He came into his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the right, the authority, the power to become the sons of God. That's who he's talking about here. All of us who have received Christ, we have all received everything we need, and we've received this particular grace that is found in Christ. But he uses the word fullness. How much grace does God have? How much grace does Christ have? Will we ever run out of his grace? Will we ever overrun his grace? Will we ever overdraw our account of grace in him? Well, the Bible says in Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 19, 
For God, meaning the Father, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, meaning Christ. Same thing that John says here. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Well, what is this fullness? What is it that we are talking about? Now, when I was a kid, I had a friend that had a bubblegum machine, gumballs. And uh, it was a pretty good size one. And when his parents would fill that up, and you could go in there and have all of the gumballs that you wanted. And so if you uh, and your friend uh, would do like we did and take about five of those things so you had actually more gum than you could hold in your mouth as a little kid, uh, think about that. You, you turn the handle and you do that and the gumball comes out, you do that five times. And when you look at the, the ball there with all of the gum in it, it doesn't look like much changed. Well, we've got an everlasting supply, you might think, as a little kid. And so you keep getting more, and you keep getting more, and you keep getting more, and you do that day after day after day. And what is going to happen? The level of that is going to go down and down and down until that sad day when there's only maybe one left, and you turn the handle and you get the one, and there's no more. That's all there is. Sometimes you may fill up your gas tank and you may go, oh, and I've got a full tank. This will last me for a long time. But even just in a short commute or running errands or whatever it may be, over time, as you draw out of that gas tank, the gas tank is going to go down and it's going to go to three quarters of a tank, half a tank, a quarter of a tank, an eighth of a tank. And then that little light comes on that some of you are about to burn out because your car is always empty. And uh, because of the prices of gas now. But eventually you're going to have to fill up again. You don't have an inexhaustible supply. Now is that what John is saying here? That we got grace enough for salvation. But don't pull too much of that out. Don't do too much of a withdrawal. Uh, I've got a bank account. You've got a bank account. Uh, maybe you've got a credit card. And you've got a credit limit on it. You can only go so far with it. And when you're drawing money out of your bank. You come up and you say I'd like to... Get $500, please. And they go, uh, you've only got $35 in your account. You've got a problem. You could be overdrawn and you pay for that, right? Can you ever overdraw from Christ? And what John is saying here is he is full. How full can an infinite God be? And all of that is found in Christ. He is the dispenser of grace that comes from an infinite God, God the Father, through Christ and it's given to us. In other words, you will never run out of grace. You will never run out of forgiveness. You will never run out of love. You will never run out of mercy. You will never take it one step too far or get out of the range of what he can give you. Whatever you take, he always has more because he is the inexhaustible God. The word is pleromatos. And in this case, it actually means abundance. So the Bible is telling us here that it's out of his abundance that we receive and all of us who are in Christ receive everything we need to have a relationship with him, to have the power for life, to have the endurance and the strength and the victory that we have because it is all one for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. All who have received 
him have all received everything that he is and no one is shortchanged. no one is on the bottom rung no one is left out no one is overlooked nobody is forgotten it's a horrible thing when a family member or friend they forget your birthday or something like that and uh, you got them something for their birthday but they didn't get you anything for yours it never works that way with God God is the abundant giver always giving us everything we need at just the right time in the right amount and it never runs short and it always is sufficient so how much grace does an infinite God have just let your mind soak that in for a second and think about the grace that he gives you and the grace that he gives all who have believed in him secondly I want you to notice that with Jesus your sin is great, but his grace is greater. Somebody say amen to that. There's always more grace than there is sin. Sin never outstrips grace. It never outnumbers the grace. It never absorbs all of the grace. There's always more grace. As the book of James says, just a little phrase in James chapter 4, I believe it's verse 6, he gives more grace. Why? Because there is always more grace for every situation that you may find yourself in. Paul Tripp, boy, he's a wordsmith. He says, God's grace is the most powerful force in the universe. So I would have to argue that it is the most beautiful word in the universe. It reaches you where you are and it takes you where God wants you to be. It has the power to do something that nothing else can do, transform you in the causal core of who you are as a human being. And what would that be? He transforms your heart. Everything is changed when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives you the power and he gives you the desire to do his will. The law could never do that. Moses could never do that. Church could never do that. Mama could never do that. Uh, money could never do that. Morality could never do that. God changes our heart and he does it by his inexhaustible grace. Does that remind you of anything? Grace, grace. If you know it, sing it. God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Here's the point. Grace that is greater than all our sin beautiful you guys ought to all be in the choir that was wonderful but isn't that truth so very great grace that is greater than all our sin how far are you going to go in your sin i don't know but i know you'll never outrun the grace of god how deep will you go into sin i don't know but you'll never go so deep that you won't find the grace of god what christ did on the cross he did completely and his fullness is ours and we have that inexhaustible supply of grace and the grace is always greater than our sin i'm a great sinner you're a great sinner but here's the good news we have an even greater savior who has abundant grace for all of us so that ought to make an episcopalian shout folks if you think about that that's just wonderful grace greater than our sin number three with jesus 
Our reason for obedience changes. Now, John brings up something here. For the law was given through Moses. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Are we saying that Moses is a bad guy, that he's a shyster, that he's a crook, that he misled us, that he's some kind of a cult leader? Absolutely not. Moses was that man that was born into slavery in Egypt. And when Pharaoh said, kill all of the Hebrew males and, uh, you know, don't let any of them survive, that Jochebed and Aaron took little Moses and they put him in that little boat and they put him in the Nile River and hid him in the bulrushes and Miriam watched over him and Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe, heard the baby cry, found the baby, adopted the baby, and Moses' life is spared and he's spared for a reason. He's raised in Pharaoh's palace, but he always knew that he was a Jew and he chose, instead of living in the riches of Egypt, to suffer with his people. You remember that? He tried his own hand at liberating them by killing an Egyptian who was beating a Jew. And he had to run for his life because of that. But while he's 80 years old, in the backside, the backside of the desert, God comes to him and says, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And Moses is dumbfounded. How could I do that? I've got a price on my head. I'm not welcome there. I'm old. I don't have anything left to offer. I don't even speak very well. How could I do anything like that? And by the way, who are you and who should I tell them has sent me? And the Lord said, tell them, I am. Not I was or I may be or I will be, but I am. And right now he is everything that we need and he never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. We know who that is, but he's the same today and he is the same forever. And so Moses had to learn that. And Moses is sent in the power of God to confront the most powerful man on the face of the earth in an empire that was the world's lone superpower at that time. And he has the audacity to say, a God that you've never heard of, Pharaoh, is giving you a command. Let my people go. And Pharaoh scorned at that. He mocked at that. But what happened at the very end? The people were let go and they became Israel, the people of God. And Moses led them in the desert and led them to the brink of the promised land. And he gave them the law and the rules and the code of conduct that would do two things. Number one, it would, or three things actually, establish the righteousness of God that he demanded. Secondly, it would keep them distinct from the Canaanite people that would pollute them spiritually. And thirdly, every ritual in that law pointed to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and a Savior that would do something we could never do. And the law was designed to point out our sin, but it could not bring any relief from it. It could not bring redemption from it. It. it could not make up for the past. We had to have a perfect Savior in order for that to come. So John is not saying here that there was something wrong with Moses, that there was something wrong with the law. No, there's something wrong with us. We can't keep it. Well, Moses couldn't even keep his own law. Moses didn't even get to go into the promised land. God buried him on Mount Nebo. Remember that? And so when we look to Moses, we're looking at somebody who's no better than we are, no different than we are, and he falls short and he falls inadequate. And the definition of sin is, for all have sinned and fallen, what? Short of the glory of God. That's our problem. 
full of inadequacy, finite, never able to pull it off. Maybe we pull it off for a little bit, but then we go back like a dog returning to his vomit or a pig returning to its mire. That's the way we are. And Moses even had that same problem. So the law came through Moses. Everybody in that day in the Jewish community was big on Moses, big on the law of Moses, except they never really looked at the fact that they couldn't keep it and they could never earn God's favor. But John says, in contrast, something else happened that Jesus came and when he came, he says, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful thing. Because when we think about Moses and we think about the law, we think about our inadequacies. We think about our failure. We could never measure up to what God demands. So God did not say do better, try harder, and cross your fingers, knock on wood, and hope for the best, and hope that the good outweighs the bad. He says I can't accept any of it because all of it is tainted by sin. Even Isaiah in the Old Testament said... All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So you're going to offer that to God? God, this is the best I've got. These putrefied, filthy, stinking rags, and I lay it before him? That would be unacceptable. That would be an embarrassment to think about that. And so in this dilemma that we had that we could never please God, we could never live up to him, he, in the fullness of time, according to the book of Galatians, that word fullness again, God sent forth his son, and he was born of a woman, so he was a human like we are, and he was also born under the law, but something was different. He was not only human, he was God in human flesh, so he could fulfill the law and redeem those of us who were cursed by the law. Now you notice that John says full of grace and truth. Grace is not something that goes, oh, I don't see that. Nope, it's not true, and just ignores something. Grace is based upon truth, the truth that God is holy, the truth that God cannot accept sin or sinful people into his presence, the truth that our works and our righteousness can never measure up to what God demands, the truth that we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. Can you imagine running in a race, maybe a a marathon or something, and you're in first place and you're ahead of everybody else, but about... 20 feet before the finish line, you trip and you fall and you break your leg. And all of those losers run right past you and go on. And you say, I can't get there. I can't finish. I can't make it to the line. That's what happens every time we try to come in our own strength, in our own power, in our own morality, in our own religiosity or whatever it may be. We always fall short of the goal that God demands. But brothers and sisters, there's one who came and he finished the race and he finished it perfectly and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he did it, he didn't do it simply so he might receive all of the praise and all of that. He didn't need that. He had all of that in heaven. He did it so that we could enter into his kingdom, his family, and we could be the beloved of Christ and we could receive grace, something that we don't deserve. I heard someone say the other day about a person, well, they were gracious to him, but he doesn't deserve grace. And I thought, what an oxymoron. Grace and deserve, putting that together, that is never the case. It is always 
undeserved. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. The person beside you doesn't deserve it. The person behind you doesn't deserve it. The person at another church that you think is so great doesn't deserve it. The person that is in politics doesn't deserve it. There's no one that deserves the grace of God. Grace is always, always, always undeserved and it is the gift that is given by someone else. But in order to get the grace, listen, you've got to face the truth. In order to get the grace of God, you've got to face the truth. That only God is good. The rich young ruler had it right. There is none good but God. That's exactly true. And then when the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it means that. You are a loser. You are one who has failed. You have failed to keep the law. You failed to measure up to what God demands. And he cannot and will not accept you and your sin into his presence. Now, if we leave it there, what a hopeless story. That means everybody goes to hell. That means nobody goes to heaven. That means we're all in the same boat. Well, we are in the same boat in the fact that we've sinned. But here's how wonderful God is in his grace he solved the problem and came and lived the, the life that would perfectly please God. Died the death where the book of Hebrews says he tasted the death in the original language. The death. Not just any death. The death. The death that he had with the wrath of God upon him for our sins. He drained the cup of the wrath of God and he finished paying the payment for our sin, conquered death, hell, and the grave by being raised on the third day, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and now whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise His holy name. And it's by grace and it's through faith, but it's based upon the truth. There's an old song that uh, people used to sing, and it said, He looked beyond my fault, and saw my need. No he didn't. In truth he looked right at your fault. And he said put it on me. And he paid the price for it. And that was your greatest need. Somebody to see the truth about you. And for you to see the truth about yourself. And about God. And to realize you only had one hope. And that was for God to be gracious. And merciful to you. And that he did through the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise his holy name forever and that's what we'll do in heaven right and so when we think about grace and truth coming to all of this it reminds me of an old saying and uh, you can find it several different ways but I'm going to use the one that Spurgeon used and it says to run and work the law commands yet gives me neither feet nor hands a sweeter thing the gospel brings it bids me fly and gives me wings. The grace is the power and the desire to do the will of God. The ability to do that. You couldn't obey God before. And you didn't want to obey God. But in Jesus, everything changed. Now you have a desire. Now you have the want to, to obey the Lord and to please Him. And the good news is, you also have been given the power because you've been made spiritually alive by His grace and His Spirit to boot lives in you. So it bids me fly and it gives 
me wings. Couldn't keep the law, but now, through the grace of God, I can please God. I can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. I can be corrected. I can be everything that I need to be through Him because He sees me through Christ and not through myself. So we have this undeserved favor that is given to us by our perfect sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's based upon the truth that sin disqualifies us from heaven and a relationship with God. But God is loving, merciful, and gracious and provided the way and provided it in himself. And he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, here's the thing for believers, not for lost people, but for believers. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And so we need to realize that it's not just about keeping rules. It's not just about trying hard. It's not just about restraining ourselves. It is the grace of God that transforms us, that we do things now that we used to hate, and now we hate the things that we used to do, and we're growing and taking steps forward in the Lord Jesus Christ in sanctification and becoming more like Him. Now remember, you're not only saved by grace and the grace of God, but you are sanctified you are made holy you are growing in him and that's by his grace God is not sitting over in heaven somewhere with his arms folded saying prove to me that you are worthy of my love since I saved you he's not doing that if God is for us who can be against us nobody wants you to be holy more than God does no one is pushing you toward grace and holiness and overcoming bondage in your life than God is. He pushes, he leads, he directs, he guides, and he is the one that overpowers sin on our behalf, and he does it by grace. And number four, notice this. John says, with Jesus, you have the most unique person ever. Hey, I'm telling you today, there is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. There never has been anyone like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. There will never be anyone like Jesus. He reigns and rules supreme and he stands above all else, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now look at verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. And that means fully, face to face, in the presence of God. You know, Moses saw a glimpse and God said, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll pass by and I'll hold my hand over you and you'll get just a glimpse of the glory. The glory as I pass by. You can see my back, but you can't look me in the face. John is telling us here that Jesus is different from every other human because he has been with God. He is God and he was qualified to look God face to face, eye to eye, and then he comes to earth to tell us what this great God of ours is like because God cannot be discovered. He has to be revealed, and God is the one who reveals him. And he says he's the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the Father, and he has declared him. So think about this. Because of Jesus, folks, God is no longer distant. You know, Bette Midler, all due respect, which very little, um, she said, God is watching us from a distance. No, he's not. He's an omnipresent, omnipowerful God 
an omniscient God who is here with us right now and the world doesn't know it, but you do. And you're always in the presence of God. You're not more in the presence of God at church. This is not the holy ground that the Bible speaks of. We're a gathering of believers and this is the place where we gather the church house, but we are always in the presence of God, always worshiping God, always aware of His presence, always filled with His power, always walking with Him and disciplined by Him. And uh, you can't hide from God, you can't run from God any more than Adam could. When God said to Adam, Adam, where are you? As if he didn't know. But he wanted Adam to confess it, right? And in the same way, you and I can never hide from God. The psalmist said, even the darkness, that's where we do most of our sin, even the darkness is light to him. And yet God, knowing everything he knows about you, about your thoughts, about your motives, about your sin, about your past, all of those things you try to hide, all of those things you try to forget, the God of heaven knows every bit of it and everything that's even in the future. That's terrifying, except for this. And yet he still has grace. And he still loves you with an everlasting love. You see... We sometimes say after we're saved, oh, I can't believe I failed the Lord. He must be so disappointed. Listen carefully. No, he's not. Because Jesus paid for that sin on the cross. He knew what he was getting when he got you. And he knew what you were going to do. And he knew how rotten and rebellious you would be. And he paid for all of it on the cross. There'll never be a time where Jesus says, well, I didn't see that one coming. There'll never be a time where the Lord says, boy, I'm so disappointed. How could he do that to me? Because he already knew you were going to do it. And he already provided the grace. And he already has given the redemption. And he has already attached himself to you. Made a covenant with you in the blood of Christ. Said I will never leave you or forsake you. In spite of who you are. In spite of what you've done. And in spite of what you will do. That's how loving and the infinite grace of God is applied in the life of a believer John says. So God is no longer distant. In fact He's actually knowable. You can know him. You can relate to him. You can talk to him. And you can love him. That's an amazing thing. And that's because of Jesus. And we find here that John's theme in this last part seems to be this. And we miss this sometimes. Jesus is unique. There's nobody like him and there never will be. The Greek word for uh, this where it says that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, if you have a King James Version. It's monogenes, and it's the word that means the only, and it's uh, genesis and generation, and those things come. He's the only one, the unique Son of God. Think about that. And uh, that word, uh, which in the King James is translated only begotten, that's a good translation, by the way, but... This word, it doesn't tell the whole story. You know how words kind of change meaning over time? Sometimes you'll read something back from the founding of our country and you'll read it and go, what in the world is that? Because it's the same word, but it means something different now and uh, doesn't make quite as much sense to us. Well, the word monogenesis is the one that um, uh, meant originally the only son, the only generated son, natural born son, but after a while, it came to mean unique, the word unique. In its purely physical sense, 
It had come to have uh, two special meanings, actually. And it had come to mean unique and also specially beloved. Now, if we think about that, the only begotten Son of God, He's the only begotten one. There's nobody else that was born like Him. Nobody else ever lived like Him. No one else ever died like Him. And no one else is ever coming again like Him. That's Jesus. He is unique. But think about this. When there's no one like him, there's nothing to compare him to. There's no plan B. There's no alternative to what he is. Some, I've had somebody say to me one time that if I believe what you believe, I wouldn't serve a God like that. Like you have a choice? This is not a vending machine. You don't go up and say, oh, let's see, the Snickers is C27. Oh, they're out. Oh, I guess I'll get a, a Milky Way maybe. I don't really want it, but okay, I'll, I'll push that button and get that. No alternatives because in the vending machine, there's only one product, and that is God. It's a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. You either come to Him on His terms, by His grace, and trusting Him completely, or there's no salvation. There's no one else to serve. There's no other place to go. And that's why when Jesus said to His disciples, will you leave me also? They go, where would we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? And that's the point that John is making here. And this one who is so the only begotten of God, the one who is unique among all humanity, is also the one that is deeply loved by the Father. Did you notice that it said he was in the bosom of the Father? What does that mean? If you've ever seen a mama hug her babies, you kind of have an idea. She pulls that baby up to her chest and just loves him and smothers him. They're close. They're close together. I think we could look at this and say Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. Obviously, that means he's well-known, he's close, and he's loved. Maybe we could say it like this. He's the only one qualified to hug God. Anyone else would die in his presence. Anyone else would be repelled and pushed away. And there would be the keep out and the angels would gather to cart you off. And yet with Jesus, God the Father could go like this. And the Lord Jesus would embrace him. And they would do that. Think about that. That's the one who came to earth. That's the one who knows the Father so well. He is able to say, if you have seen me... You have seen the Father. He revealed God to us. We know God because we know the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the second person of the Trinity, he uniquely reveals him to all of us. Obviously, an only son has a unique place and a unique love in his father's heart. So this word comes to express the uniqueness more than anything else and the love that God the Father has for his only begotten son that he sent to earth. This one that is unique and this one that he loves is the same one that died for you on the cross. It's the same one that God the Father punished in your place. His unique and truly beloved son in your place. Now think about that. Would you give up one of your children for anybody else? Would you die for anyone else? Paul put it this way. For scarcely for a good man will one die. Some people do lay down their lives for others. Some people, law enforcement, military people, things like that. Heroes that we have. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God the Father poured what we deserve on his only begotten, unique Son of God. What a great love. 
What a wonderful love. How wonderful it is to know that that love will never change. God hasn't faded in his love toward you. He hasn't changed his mind about his love for you. He loves you just like he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here Jesus, as God, has done something that no one else could do. Here is Jesus, someone who has been in the bosom of the Father, comes to us to tell us about the love of God that only he had experienced up to this point. And he explains it and he gives us that commandment that we love one another and that we love God with all of our heart. The law had commanded it, but there was no ability. Now through Christ and grace, we have the ability to love God as he deserves to be loved. And this all comes through Jesus Christ. That's why John was so, the Baptist was so excited about it. That's why he proclaimed it. That's why he shouted out, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world because he is the only hope. But it's not that he's the last resort. Let's try him. He is the one who is so full of grace and so full of love, that inexhaustible supply from an infinite God that we find out it's so much better than we could ever conceive. So much more wonderful than we could ever imagine. The half has not been told. And no matter how bad you may be, no matter how far you have fallen as a believer, you have not even come close to running out of the love of God or exhausting the grace of God because this is the unique Son of God sent for this purpose to redeem you and to keep you saved. If you could lose your salvation, you would. And you'd lose it before we left the building. But the, you are kept by the Son of God who himself is God. This is amazing. And this is not something, again, John makes a point that is discovered. It is something that is revealed and he reveals it to us. So John concludes this prologue by emphasizing uh, what he taught in verse 1. Jesus, as the word is God and has revealed and explained God to sinful humanity. So Jesus is unique and he's unique in the way that he gives grace and he is unique in the amount of grace that he gives. He's unique in the way that he gives it to us, not out of anger, not reluctantly, but out of love and enthusiastically he gives us forgiveness and gives us grace. And there's a Scottish theologian, I'm not sure of his name, but he said this and we conclude. Ultimately, divine grace towards sinners cannot be understood. It does not have a reason. It simply reflects the way God is. And that's what we find out through the witness of the Scripture and the witness of a man like John the Baptist and others who proclaim his truth. And all God's people said, Father, we thank you for grace. Some people may feel like they're on the brink of falling off into the fires of hell and thinking they're going to lose their salvation or they're going to go too far. Help them see that grace is much more vast than they could ever, ever understand. And it's just the way you are. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.